Welcome to Game Over Montreal. That's uh, another Montreal Canadiens loss. We'll bring that back since it seemed like a very Dominique Ducharme coached game tonight. It was boring. It was sluggish, especially in the second period. But you know what? They didn't play as bad as it looked on paper. Let's bring in my guest, Laura Saba from Locked On Canadians. How are you doing tonight, Laura? I'm doing well. I just want to say that it's not going to be as funny or as horny as last week because <laughs> Alice is not here. I'm already missing her. Hi, Allison. Um, but that was a really fun time. And I really hope that I can be like 1% as funny as Allison. Yes. I mean, I don't know if anybody can be as funny as Alice. She is. She is crazy Alice. good. And <laughs> yeah, and I mean, she's like an improv person, right? So she can bring it to the next level and Luckily, this time, I would have been more prepared. You know, I'm not as tired, even though I will be tomorrow because we've got uh, spring forward coming up. And then I've got to work tonight as well. After the show, I've got to write a post game column for the Montreal Gazette because I did their live blog during the game tonight. And I don't know what it is about doing the live blog for that site, but it seems like I get the worst games because the last one that I worked was like way back in December. And that one was an absolute snooze fest as well. And <laughs> This I thought the Canadians played a great first period. I thought they deserved a lot better than what they got in that first period. But the rest of the game, I was not, you know, impressed by any touch of the imagination. And I think the biggest thing that came out of it is like the power play. My Needs God, a how, lot of work. <laughs> ugh, how long can they have a power play this bad that just saps all the momentum? It's been years, Laura. It's terrible. I want to ask because I I meant to look this up a while ago for our show Locked On Canadians and is the last time the Canadians had a good power play under Guy Carbonell? Is it possible that that was I remember they were number 1 in the league for some time when Alex Kovalev was on the team. I don't remember if they had a good power play after that when PK Subban was here. Well, it depends what you mean by good, I guess. Like uh among the top of the league, I think in the 12-13 like shortened season, they were pretty good. I'll just like quickly try to find it right here. Yeah, that they were fifth best in the league that year, and a lot of that was through PK and uh, obviously uh, Markov coming back as well. But I think it's fair to say that they haven't had a great power play or even a good power play since Andre Markov. And as much as like uh, people lament the loss of PK Subban, uh, you know. You can count me among those for many various reasons. I think the fact that they've not replaced Andre Markov has been a much bigger issue on the power play. Like you can find the cannon from the back end, but the quarterback that moves the puck, they just haven't had that in years. Uh, whether it's, it's not just about in the offensive zone either. Like Jeff Petrie, I think once you get the puck into the offensive zone, he's decent on the power play. I know he hasn't been this year. But for the most part, pretty decent on the power play. But he has trouble getting the puck from his own end through the neutral zone into the offensive zone, making the right decisions to get controlled entries for his team. And the Canadians just they don't have any defenseman who's capable of doing like combining those skills, right? The transition play and the offensive play on the power play, the puck control, and also that doesn't shoot it way too much. Because even like Chris Weidman. There are things that he does that are decent on the power play. And then you can tell he just gets like frustrated and starts shooting and his shots are terrible. Like he's a, he's a terrible. He was not great player. on the power play tonight. Oh, really, like, I don't think he had, he had, he had a bad game tonight. Overall. He had a very bad game tonight. He had a very bad yeah. game tonight. And all I can say is that I'm very grateful that I, I have no alcohol tolerance anymore because um, this game was a wine game. Cheers everybody. But yeah, I think uh, I noticed a lot of points where Chris Weidman was doing something where I was just like, why would you make that decision when there are this many different players around you, mostly open, uh, mostly in a better position than you are. And it's like you said, he gets frustrated and he shoots himself. But I do think that, um, and again, like this is obviously pinning too much hopes on a person, but I feel like 
the, the next person that I feel might be able to do that is Norlander if given the opportunity to reach his potential. It's going to be a while though. I think we, we kind of, we expected too much of him when he was here. It, he was, he wasn't necessarily rushed, right? He was injured and then he couldn't go back and all of that. Like there's a reason why he was playing on the Habs for quite some time, but I feel like, you know, at that time we wanted him to start this season in Montreal. I think that if he waits another season or the Canadians wait another season on him, I wouldn't be too upset because I think that when he's fully formed, he's going to be a really great intelligent defenseman that can anchor your offense, whether it's on the power play or on a rush, right? I think that he definitely has that skill, but he's right now, he's not NHL ready with that skill, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I, am, I would be so interested to see Norlander under St. Louis. Just because everything changes a lot, right? Especially for the young players, giving them confidence. Like one, I saw doing the live blog for Hockey Inside Out. You see like a different kind of fan than what you see on your curated Twitter account or the people who come to Game Over Montreal. Like they're they're people who value different things, right? And I like one of the things that I saw consistently on there. People were like, oh, get paling off the power play, whereas. I don't think he's necessarily been great on the power play, but when I look at what Paling is doing on the power play and what St. Louis and co are trying to accomplish, I'm like, I see the plan there. They're seeing if he can do it right. They're letting him go and fail and make mistakes so that I understand it's everything else. (laughs) It's true. There's so many other issues. Yeah, absolutely. And I think with Paling, I find that in the last couple of games, what I've really liked from him is his positioning in certain situations. And I think it could be phrased as well, phrased better as his reaction in certain situations. Like what he does when he takes the puck, like who does he dish it to? Or what does he do with it? Does he carry it? Does he release it? All of that kind of stuff. Like he's never going to be an elite player. Like he's not going to be your elite sniper. But he has shown in the last few games, particularly under Martin St. Louis, a hockey intelligence that I did not know was there. And for whatever reason, like that was the, that was what I thought was holding him back from making the NHL full-time, you know, every, every camp, training camp where like, is Ryan Paling, is this going to be the year with Ryan Paling, like finally making it with the club full-time. And now that he has done that, I feel like he's shown a lot of improvement over the course of this year. He was one of the people that I think was consistently getting better, even under Ducharme, which is, which was a hard thing to do as all of the other players have demonstrated but I do think that he's gotten really good at being smart on the ice and I sometimes wonder if that's what Martin St. Louis means with reads right like reading a situation does he mean reacting to that situation right and I, I love what Paling is doing with that and I know we've got tons of topics but I did say I did want to say that I was very happy to see Jeff Petrie and Joel Edmondson back together yeah, there was a lot of like uh, the Habs Reddit Twitter account had a the gif from like Rocky when Rocky Balboa and <laughs> just, like on the beach with the uh, oh my god now I'm blanking on the name uh, Apollo Creed I know what you're talking about or yes. like jumping up and down and hugging and how happy they were to be back together again in the first period those dudes were incredible I think Edmondson faded as the game went on he started making a, a few more like I'm tired mistakes but that's to be expected. It's his first it's, game back in what, like six, seven months, eight months. Yeah, the last time he played was July, right? It's the Stanley Cup final. That's the last <laughs> time he played, you know. And like, you can't expect him to just not miss a beat. It, it's game what fifty-eight of the season. At a certain point, you you got to give a guy a break. And I, I don't think anybody's on him tonight. That's not what I'm saying. But uh, Jeff Petrie was, I thought, incredible tonight. And I, I got to give a shout out a little bit as well to Yoel Armia who. <laughs> And he still can't <laughs> he heard make a, what he said, what we said. <laughs> yeah, he still can't make a play with the puck. He just he can't do it. But about halfway through this game, instead of making plays for the puck, he just started playing the body and he was effective. He was yes. really effective. He drew penalties. He caused chaos. He got people mad. I thought he had his best game that I've seen in months after yeah, he of the just season simplified. almost. Yeah. I think he had like one game with two points early in the season as possible, but he's been really uh, disappointing and quiet this entire season and whatever's going on there. Like we don't know, right. We can't speculate, but it looks like he probably heard that people are calling about him or something like that, because that is like this week, since we talked about it, like there have been a lot of rumors that people aren't just inquiring about Arturi Lekin and they're also asking about Yoel Armia. And I wonder if that's something that like Kent Hughes told Friedman to talk about or something. Cause I think that's where it came. It came out from, from Elliot Friedman. And I was just like, 
is he really like is, are people really calling about Joel Armia or is it like I don't know but he's had a rough season like like God bless him I love the guy but he's had a really tough season he has I think He's kind of exemplifies what's gone on with the Canadians this season overall, right? There's been injury. There's been bad luck. There's been bad play. There's been lack of effort. It's there's like been all, COVID. Yeah. Jeez. He's had it. What? Three times. <laughs> At this like, point, he's had it at least twice. We know least, that for sure. You know, Cause he had it last year. I thought he had it last year or twice. Like, oh, he or did. no, he had, he had it last year and then he got a false positive in the Stanley Cup final. I believe. Yes. He was late. Cause he came in late. He came back late. So he wasn't playing that first game in Tampa. Yeah, so yeah. at the very least, he's had it twice. Like, the poor guy. Nothing has gone right for him. And, yes, a commenter here, Sarah Y. Army is great in the playoffs, but has been a no-show for the regular season. Yeah, he has been a no-show for this regular season. Absolutely. I just, I really want to give him credit the few times that we actually get to give him credit because it's been very few and far between. And I do feel bad for the guy. He Like, obviously, he's not feeling that bad with the new contract that he just signed, but at a certain point... The money doesn't make you feel better when you're not enjoying yourself, right? So good game yeah. for him. Hopefully something for him to build on because, yeah, I, I do think the Habs would love to be able to move him. I don't think he is movable at this point. But the nice thing about the Habs situation, Laura, is I see a lot of people very panicky about like, oh, they have to make this, this, this move at the deadline. No, they The don't. only guy that they have to move really is Ben Sherratt. And I think everybody wants to see them do a lot more. But one of the advantages that they have from having all these guys signed the term is they can wait. They can wait until the summer. They can wait until next year's deadline. They don't necessarily have an issue with that, right? Like, yeah, you want to clear some cap space, sure. But if Molson's willing to pay the money, it doesn't matter if they're capped out while they're rebuilding. Like, who really it really cares? doesn't because at the end of the day, like those people will come off the cap by the time the Canadians are ready to contend. And the thing is, like, you know, there's been a lot of talk in Montreal about how they don't want to do a teardown and all of that. And like, you know, Jeff Molson wants butts and seats. But I mean, what's wrong with butts and seats, but not winning all the games? Like, you know, as long as they're showing promise, as long as there's something exciting. I mean, I've gone to lots of Canadians games where the team overall was not great but the individual games were fun and I'd absolutely be willing to pay a ticket to go and see a game. Right. You know, all those people that want to take their kids to games, like now's a great opportunity to do that. That, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit difficult there. The marketing aspect of it is going to have to come in a lot more if they're going to continue to rebuild, because I don't think that, you know, when people are saying, Oh, Jeff Molson wants to fill seats. I don't think that necessarily means he's giving them a mandate to excel next season. I think he does yeah. want a long-term consistent team but i do understand as well you don't want a team that nobody wants to see like you still want to sell those tickets you still want to sell those concessions you still want people tuning into the games because the advertisers care about that right so i i, I think there's nothing wrong with continuing to be in a rebuild losing season and one of our commenters was like i'm not willing to tolerate more than one losing season i'm like what have we been doing for the past decade yes yeah, you know what i mean like th there, been... there will be none of that under a consistent contender well and also like how if it weren't for COVID allowing them to make the playoffs, this would be the fifth straight year of no playoffs. Like, let's be real here. This is the fifth straight losing season for the Montreal Canadiens. Like, oh, I wouldn't tolerate another losing season. What you actually mean is that you wouldn't tolerate another season where they win eight out of 45 games to start the year. And nobody is going to tolerate that. Jeff Molson doesn't want that either. That isn't something that helps your franchise. So, like, the nice thing Correct. is about this whole situation is like, yeah, I, I saw some people saying uh, earlier today, you know, this team has uh, a long way to go before they're a contender. 100% true. A commenter, Master Sheep, says that uh, despite the fact they've been significant, significantly better under St. Louis. Yeah, I mean, they're 7-5-1 under St. Louis. That's it's not, not bad. It's not fantastic. It's not horrible. But If you prorate that, it's a bubble team. Yeah, and the thing is, they might not be that next year. They might be worse than that because there's, there's going to be players that they lose. But the other thing is they're doing this with until tonight. Their second line center was Laurent Dauphin. Tonight it's Rem Pitlick, who I don't believe is a natural center. Their third line center is Jake Evans. Fourth line center is Ryan Paling. I think Ryan Paling is the only one in the spot that you actually want him in at that point. <laughs> you know, like Evans, I think is a fourth line center and a, and a good one. Pitlick, I think is a, is a winger, <laughs> but you know, like there's still that you look at the lineup 
And the fact that they're winning games at all is still a surprise. You know, <laughs> they're still relying on their third and fifth string goaltender right now with Hammond out. You know, this is not a team that is playing at their top potential, right? So, yeah, they have a long way to go. I, th- I think everybody knows that and recognizes it. The Canadians, most of all, I do want to shout out Robert Malloy, our amazing mod, says, can we define that overtime as hockey? Now, that was terrible. But I oh, will no, say it, it was not the Canadians' <laughs> fault that it was terrible. The Canadians were actually trying to create chances. The Kraken were just <laughs> passing it back and forth in their own zone, trying to do nothing and waste time and hoping. And then that Nick Suzuki was stealing the puck. <laughs> yes. So terrible, yes, but I blame the Kraken for that one. I absolutely do. Can we talk about the Kraken for one second? Because sure. I haven't had a chance to do this in a while. I think at the time when they did the expansion draft, I don't think people thought that they were going to be this bad, but they probably knew that they were in the running for a lottery pick. I think for me, I thought they were going to finish like 21st or 22nd in the league. I thought like they put together and I was like, why would you go through an expansion draft, not do wheeling and dealing or enough wheeling and dealing, and then put together a team that isn't going to be bad enough for a lottery pick. But I guess they knew what they were doing. Like I was wrong. Like I'm, I'm going to mea culpa that one. <laughs> well, know? I mean, I don't think anybody expected Philippe Grubauer to be the worst goalie in the league. Right. Like That's he, true too. He why was he making saves tonight? <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> Frankly, the Canadians didn't put too much pressure on him. Like I, I, after the first period when I was doing the live blog, I was like, second period, the thing the Canadians need to focus on is getting his kitchen because everything was clean looks all, all game long, and they did it a little bit in the third period. I think uh, Armia and Lekkinen did, but other than that, you know, even Gallagher was kind of more to the outside tonight, trying to create things, be a playmaker for his line, trying to. He looked like he was more doing a lot of center responsibilities tonight which makes sense with Pitlick being there and Pitlick not being very defensively responsible. Gallagher was kind of carrying the bag for him and Hoffman. So he wasn't <laughs> able to do him that. Him and Hoffman, just yeah, imagine, I mean, like two people, right? <laughs> he basically, right? Like that's what he had to do. So he can't really do that and also be the net front presence. So there's complications there, but they, they didn't really make things difficult for Grubauer. I don't think. And also all the times that they did get the, the cross crease pass through it seemed like it would bounce over the stick or like just miss or that Lekkanen chance where it just like just went by his blade as uh, I forget who I think it was Paling put that right past him on the power play. So, or maybe it wasn't the power play either way. It doesn't matter. But yeah, I feel like there was uh, some bad bounces before they got the amazing bounce <laughs> from Adam Larson to tie it up for the Nick Suzuki. goal. That was really funny. <laughs> Ugliest goal that uh, Suzuki's ever scored. Most of his are beauties. <laughs> I do want to say, though, I did I did appreciate that uh, Brett Kulak and Ben Sherratt were practicing being jerseys on the opponents for when they make the playoffs, when the Canadians trade them and the trade deadline to a contending team, because that was really funny. Like every time I turned around, I was like, they're like they were doing such a good job job of like treading that fine line between obstruction and like getting in someone's face, which I absolutely love. Like I was just like obstruction interference. This is what happens when you live in Montreal and you watch hockey in two languages. Interference, I think, is, is I think it's what I meant. Um, obstruction, whichever that one is. It's the same thing. It's the same. I have like a very Kent Hughes accent in French. Everybody who's here who's francophone, please excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that too. And I thought Edmondson also at a few points tonight was just throwing the body out there as well. And man, Michael Pozzetta, I, I so wanted Michael Pozzetta to get that shootout goal. Like, the, the bell center would have burned down. It would have been so oh, fun. It, it would have been, been amazing. Insane. The fact yeah. that they were giving him a standing O just for getting to the center <laughs> dot, like they <laughs> wanted that so bad, you know? They knew. They knew. Yeah. And that was the thing. Like he's the kind of guy that that's the kind of thing you root for is like some random game, game, game 58, you said it was, um, you know, against another lottery team, not a great night. And then all of a sudden you're the hero in the shootout. Like that's the kind of, that's the kind of storyline that's going to surround or follow Pizzetta his entire career right and i would have really wanted to see that for him yeah absolutely and the fact is the one positive that you can pull from this game is that the canadians despite playing very well and despite playing significantly better than the kraken over the last stretch are actually still in last place and have the best chance to, to draft first overall 
So it's it's almost like everything's come together for the Canadians in this last stretch of the season where things are no longer embarrassing. They're not playing god awful hockey, even though tonight was boring. You know, the young kids are starting to show some promise. I thought Cole Caulfield was spectacular tonight again. And they're winning enough to keep people somewhat engaged. And they're probably still going to finish last or second last. Like there's a chance that they hop maybe two teams, but that's the most. Right. And Arizona is red hot right now. They're scoring like crazy. Like I, I didn't have any idea that they could do that. They had a back-to-back stretch there where they scored 17. No. Yeah, 17 goals in two games. Like, unbelievable. So yes. everything's breaking well for the Montreal Canadiens right now when you think about it. And uh, that's not something to sneeze at. I think, you know, that's the thing is that I've seen the sentiment a lot. I don't know if you saw it in the Habs Inside Out, um, in, the, in the Hockey Inside Out blog that you did, because I've seen a lot of people that are like, I'm having fun, but I want them to lose. Like this, this is like, this is the best scenario, right? Like when they lost tonight, for example, when they were losing tonight, it's better for the tank. You keep seeing it's better for the tank. It's better for the tank. But at the same time, that's not what people were saying when they were losing abysmally before people were like, if only they could be interesting and lose, if only they could have this lottery pick or keep this lottery position and be interesting. So that's something that we're seeing. And I have to say though, uh, it's like you pointed out in that, in that overtime, it was not a great overtime, but the Canadians did things that are far more positive than they have done in the last couple of years. Like we complained so much about their overtimes in the last couple of years and the last, the last couple under Marty, I think he's had two overtimes to, to coach. They've been pretty good. Like he's made some pretty good choices and the Canadians have shown um, like a bit of promise or a bit of improvement on that. I do kind of wonder though, I, I wonder if the sheen is coming off or the shine is coming off. I don't know how you'd say, it. you know, like there was like a surge under Martin St. Louis. And now it's kind of like, you're seeing a couple more games where they aren't that great. Right. And I don't want to count the Winnipeg game because in the Winnipeg game, I thought the Canadians were really good, but Semi and Montembeau just had a really bad night. Like yeah. I thought they played really well. If you looked at the underlying numbers, if you looked at the way the Winnipeg Jets were playing like frustrated and like baby, you know, baby diaper filling, all of that kind of thing. Like I did think the Canadians played better, but I did not like the way they played against Vancouver. And tonight they weren't as good as they could have been given how bad Seattle is. Yeah. I kind of give them a mulligan on the Vancouver game because it started at like midnight. (laughs) (laughs) That's the stupidest game having to cover that dumb game. And then I felt so bad because I was just, I had Sam Chang on the show and I felt like who's awesome. I love her. She's so amazing. And and that episode was great. Anybody listening now who hasn't or watching now who didn't watch it, please go back and watch that. It was awesome. Sam yeah. is like one of my hockey. She's favorites. fantastic. I think both of us were tired. You know, she's got a new baby and it was just, you know, it wasn't that interesting. That game. So we had, we had some good talks though. Like we were talking about like how similar the situations are between Vancouver and, and Montreal, but it, it sucks to have like, no energy going into a show and that stupid TNT broadcast just <laughs> made it start so late. I don't know what they were thinking, but at least it this was... one it's ending at a decent time, even though it was delayed by yeah, the opening ceremony thing that they did, which was cool by the way. Uh, I thought it was yes. really cool. And then Cheryl Ann got to be there for all of the Olympians coming in. Cause it's the first game they've had to have, had to have people back since the Olympics. So that was like a nice little thing to start off with too. But it was one of those things where it went on so long that the beginning of the game is just really a bit of a slog as well. And you can yeah. kind of see that carry through. I think that carried through most of the game. Yeah, I, I, I want to say puck drop was at like 724 uh, or something like yep. that. I did something check like and I, now I don't remember. Um, but the, the the Canucks game was it was at 1052 p.m. our time, which, you know, the Canadians had been out west, quote unquote, out west for a week at that point. But they played in Winnipeg and then Calgary like that, that like that already messed up their rhythm. So I don't like, and they also had, I think three days without a game. It was Sunday, Monday and Tuesday without a game. And then it was like Wednesday at butt o'clock that they played. Um, it was like, it was a butt 52. It wasn't even a butt o'clock. It was yeah, a I butt know, was 52 terrible. PM puck, puck drop. So I think, you know, whenever they do one of those where they like go out West and play a 1 PM game, our time, or like, uh, cause it's 4 PM there. Or, sorry. It's 1 PM there. It's 4 PM here. Any, anytime they do something like that, 
you see them coming out really slow and sluggish. And I'm sure it happens to other teams, but obviously the Canadians are the teams we watch all the time. So I'm like, why does it only happen to the Canadians? Why is it only the Canadians when they change time zone? Do they mess things up? But I have to tell you though, like I forgot that a few years ago I went to, um, I went to Chicago for a week and it was just one hour time difference, but everything was just throwing me off. So I was like, why is hockey at 6 PM? Like this does not make sense. So I do kind of get it, even though I travel a lot, I just feel like when your regular daily routine is disrupted that much, there's definitely like a little bit of an adjustment, but at the same time, if you're a good enough team, that's going to be winning championships. You need to be able to adjust for that. Right. But the Canadians aren't. <laughs> They're not. I mean, by the time they get to contending, they better figure that part out. <laughs> yeah. I think, like Tampa Bay is not out doing that. Yeah. I, I think there's like maybe a little bit of the shine is coming off or like the new coach uh, jitters or whatever. But I think what I look at to see how that's going is like, are the guys that were dominant to, to push that stretch still playing really well? And yes. I think they Nick are. Nick Suzuki. Right. Yeah, so like Cole Caulfield. Suzuki was great tonight. Caulfield was great tonight. Anderson less so, but I think Anderson it, like always runs hot and cold. Yes, so he has streaks. Yeah, so he's just a guy who like tomorrow's probably gonna score a hat trick because he hasn't scored in five. <laughs> you know, it's just the way it goes. But one thing I did want to talk about, like going through this game, and I know he scored, and I don't feel like it's probably a little bit mean to bully him, but I was looking at the Canadians defenseman in this game and like in the organization, the guys who've played this year. And I think there's actually a good chance that within two years, not a single defenseman who's currently on the roster is on the roster. And that includes Alex Romanoff who until he scored tonight, I thought had a very terrible game. He's had a couple of games where I've questioned what he's done. And I wonder sometimes if it's his pairing or not, or if he's just streaky as well, because he did have a stretch, especially when Martin St. Louis first came in, he did have a stretch where he was playing really well. There are a couple of things that he does to be really effective. And one of them is positioning. And I say this a lot, like this, this has become one of my buzzwords this season positioning um, and, and where people are, especially with the defenseman. It's so important. And I wonder if it's just a situation where he's having a rough time or if it's who he's being paired with. I remember when we were talking about who on the team is untouchable. And this was, you know, back when we first started talking about who's going to be traded, Tyler Toffoli was still on this team. Um we were talking about it and a lot of people answered Caulfield, uh, Caulfield, Suzuki and Romanov. And I was like, really Romanov in my head. I was like, to me, it's Caulfield, Suzuki, and then nobody else on the NHL team. Yep. So I think it depends on where you believe Romanov's potential is. And I think if he's a physical player who hits really well, which he does, but he's that one dimensional, it's not going to work out in Montreal. Yeah. That's my issue with Romanov is like, you can see what he's good at, but there's very few skills that he's good at, right? Right. And I don't see the upside in terms of defensive play, in puck moving, in offensive involvement, in skating to get him to the level that's beyond being a third-pairing defenseman. And I know he's playing second-pair minutes, or heck, he's playing first-pair minutes right now, but he's not playing them well, <laughs> and he's not a guy that you want in those situations at this point in time, there is room for improvement. Of course, I know he's young, but I'm, I'm just not seeing the progress. And I think early this season when everything was going really, really poorly, the fact that he was not deterred and still making plays and still trying to hit people kind of made people believe that he had taken a huge step forward this season when the reality was that, everyone else had just taken a step back around him. And I, I just, I haven't seen that step so far. I'd like to, I'm not going to say that it's impossible, but the evidence so far isn't there for me. And it's just, it's one of those situations where the Habs just overhype this guy so much that people are looking for everything to try to find something there. And I'm, I'm just not seeing it outside of the big hits, which are fun but don't actually have that much of an impact on the game. I think it's also a function of, you know how you said there are a few skills that he's really good at, but not all of the defenseman skills that are necessary, especially in today's NHL. You have to be well-rounded no matter what position you play, unless you're the goaltender. Uh, but even the goaltender has to be athletic, has to be you know good with the puck and all of that. But 
I think the thing with Romanov is the things that he's good at, he's really good at. So that gives people the impression that he could be good at anything because he's really good at like those very, very few things. He's better than a lot of people at those few things are, yeah. right? Like if you take an average defenseman, he's better than them at, the, at those things. But it's not well-rounded enough in today's NHL. Like I always think about it. Do you remember, I think it was on um, on Crosscheck when we had Jesse Granger on and we talked about how the Kraken only want two-way players, only want two-way players. That's obviously a very simplistic way of looking at it. But in today's NHL, you have to be versatile to a certain extent. I'm not saying if you're a defenseman, you have to be a forward. But if you're a defenseman, you have to play in all three zones. If you're a forward, you have to be able to play in all three zones because all the ones who can only play in one zone are getting left behind or we're sitting here hoping Kyle Dubas trades for them. Yep. Exactly. hundred percent. And this is something that I, when I started doing for Sportsnet back when I worked there and I started doing the uh, top 20 positional player rankings. And I, I basically, I split all the metrics that we had at the company that I worked at at the time into three categories, offense, defense, and tra- transition play. So it's basically once you're in the offensive zone, once you're, de- or not necessarily in the offensive zone, but with the puck, without the puck and everything in between to like get you from defense to offense. Right. And in my view, in order to be a top six player or a top four defenseman, or even not really a third line player, you need to be better than average or average or better. I will, I'll say at two of those three things, either offense and defense or offense and transition or defense and transition. And there's lots of guys who are, spectacular defensively but never get the like a big contract because they're not good anywhere else right one of the guys that always stood out was ben lovejoy ben lovejoy was one of the best pure defensive defensemen in the nhl for like a decade and he was always just a guy a third pair guy because once he got the puck couldn't move it in the offensive zone didn't know what to do so like those guys they're third pair even seventh defenseman guys and more is being asked every day of players in the nhl because the league just keeps on getting better and more talented despite what uh people who watched hockey in the 80s like to think about the talent being watered down <laughs> it's not not the case there's more it's better hockey players than ever before Right. And they have so many more resources. There's so many things they can measure now. There's so many people that can give them advice now. In the 80s, people would have a cigarette and then show up for puck drop, right? That's not happening now. I know there's still players who smoke, but like the last person I can think of who smoked cigarettes was was Dion Phaneuf, right? <laughs> like I can't think of anybody else who's like that. But like, you well, know, like well, they I have could, like their- I could think of one other player who has a famous picture of him smoking three cigarettes <laughs> at once. I completely forgot about that, but in my defense, I've had too much wine. Um <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, like now it's like, you know, your nutrition is monitored. And I know there's like some players that get made, made fun of because they're too extreme, like Nathan McKinnon, for example. But my, my impression of Nathan McKinnon is that he's probably just like super like grouchy about it. And so that's why it kind of stands out. But like, are you telling me that right now, like an elite player doesn't have somebody who's telling them like what to eat. Like I remember Nazem Kadri a few years ago was talking about how he changed his entire diet to incorporate like a few things under Gary Roberts and it changed his physique and the way that he used to play. Now that only gives you a little bit of an edge. You either have talent or you don't, but you could be a talented player doing a lot and you could be a talented player doing very little. And there's some people that don't need it. I mean, like, you know, Phil Kessel is the example that comes up and I have to credit Dylan Waugh for that because he said that on our uh, podcast, the Habstetician. for those of you who don't uh, listen to that podcast, it's awesome. Um, Uh, But he was talking about how Phil Kessel is able to be an elite player and find success despite not having the same workout regimen as everyone else, right? Like he gets criticized for his body a lot, but at the same time, he's producing more than most people are. Like he has multiple Stanley Cups. He was a major factor in those multiple Stanley Cups and he's still producing now that he's close to his like retirement age, right? Like there's so many players that like have individualized regimens now that like you can't, it can't be like the eighties. It can't be like in the eighties, there was a good player and there was a goon protecting the good player. It's not like that anymore. Now it's like, you can be, you can have a little bit of an edge over all the other defensemen vying for that position just by using the science or having a sports psychologist or things like that. So I feel like players today, it's exactly like you said, they're so much better than they used to be, but because they have the ability. So why should you be stuck in an era when you have all of this data and science and, and psychology and all that stuff available to you now? Like, why wouldn't you take advantage of that? Especially since for a lot of players, like they're making a lot of money and they can afford it or their teams or their agencies are providing it for them. 
Yeah, hundred percent. Although I think I, I remember hearing this is only something that I heard. I I don't know for a fact, but I'm remember hearing that Phil Kessel, one of the drugs that he takes after going through cancer when he was younger, actually causes him to carry a bit more weight. So there's there's that too that always made me a little bit uncomfortable when people criticize his body. I mean, body shaming is gross anyway, but right, exactly, extra uncomfortable when it could be caused <laughs> due to like a side effect of a drug that he t- took because he had testicular cancer when he was like eighteen. You right, know. exactly. And nope. people love to be like, he doesn't work out. And it's like, that's not the story, right? No. I mean, the if I could skate like him, I wouldn't work <laughs> exactly. out either. Like, <laughs> right? The story is he produces at an elite level still, like for decades. Like, that's yeah. the story. I mean, I, from to me, I think Phil Kessel's a hero. He's he's the fat pe- fat person's uh, hero in the NHL. You, you got to love those kind of guys, just like Marty Brodeur was before. Always yes. a little bit chubby and fantastic. One of the best player yeah one of the best goaltenders in history exactly okay so yeah outside of romanov i think he's the only guy on this defense that everyone has penciled in for like the next next, not even next year but like (laughs) the next core right got it because edmondson i think is going to be here next year for sure outside of him i don't know who else is gonna be to be honest like I don't think Chris Weidman's coming back. I don't think that uh, Sherratt will David be Savard. Here. They're probably not going to be moving Savard. Oh, yeah, they can't move Savard. Yeah, that'd be almost impossible. So yeah. Savard will be back. But again, I don't think Savard will be be, be here beyond his contract. He might end up being bought out, honestly, or, or moved once that contract's a little bit more palatable. But just looking at their defense, like, yeah, Edmondson will be here. I think Petrie gets dealt in the summer. Kulak's UFA. I could see Kulak staying just because he's been here this this long. People seem to like him. He's effective. He's effective, yeah. But he has a third liner or a third. third right. He, guy, he's not right? going to command that much money that it's going to screw up your cap, right? Yeah, exactly. I could see him being dealt, honestly, at the deadline. I think he could actually fetch not a huge return, but something, right? Yes, absolutely. I think I think they do try to deal both him and Sherratt. And um, I think uh, I think a smart team picks up Kulak. Yeah, great comment here. Kevin Owens can do what he does and look like he does. It's not about weight. Damn right. I mean, if anyone has taught us anything about weight not being a limiting factor in being in shape or being athletic, it's wrestling. You know, look at the people who've been in that, like the whole uh, sumo guys that have gone in through there and the Samoan wrestlers that have gone through WWE and all that. Uh, Ric Flair, I don't think has been in shape since the 1980s. You know, there's... <laughs> Lots of evidence Us that you too. can be healthy and not <laughs> not look like you're shredded, frankly. Uh, let's see. People were criticizing Suzuki for being too small when he put on 15 pounds, mostly in the lower body muscle. They started saying he was too slow. You just can't win. Yeah, I mean, Suzuki, he's doing what he's doing, man. I think he's having a great season, frankly. I think he's fantastic. Um, and he's Suzuki. only going to get better unless something terrible happens with injury. Knock on wood. Hope it doesn't. But yeah. yeah, he's only going to get better. He's not even like in his prime yet. Imagine his prime. It's going to be good, especially if they can find someone to take some of the harsher minutes away from him as well. Because like, is as good as Suzuki is doing right now, people need to recognize that he's the only like top three line center on the roster right now, and has been essentially this entire season. Because while I believe that Christian Dvorak can be second second or third line center yeah he has not been this year defensively he has been a black hole so suzuki has been taking unbelievable amount of an unbelievable amount of pressure i i remember i don't remember who i had on when i was talking about it before but we were talking about it and i was like how how many other players in the league 21 22 years old are the coaches first choice at even strength first choice on the power play first choice shorthanded first choice in overtime You know, (laughs) like there's no situation that any coach who coaches Montreal, whether it's St. Louis Ducharme or random insert, whatever, wouldn't be putting Suzuki out there first. That's a lot of pressure on a kid. You know, last year they had Deneau to kind of break some of that pressure on the PK in in, uh, defensive situations. Despite the fact that Suzuki was still playing tough minutes, he wasn't playing the toughest minutes. And the fact that he's managed to continue to have a decent season despite that 
Man, I, I just think this, the ceiling on Suzuki is so high. I love it. And I think Dvorak as well, like, you have to think about it. He was injured before the coaching change. So a lot yeah. of people were black hole defensively. So I do think that having somebody who's better at, um, again, I'm going to say the word positioning because it, for me, it encompasses a lot of things that I mean. So, um, but yeah, like somebody who knows what he needs to be doing and where he should be, I think uh, would help him a lot. It's just unfortunate that he's been injured. So we haven't been able to see the value in him. Uh, I thought he was going to get dealt, but I do believe he has at least one more year on his contract. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I do mean, think, I, I think he's a great third line. Okay. Second line. Right. I think yeah. he's a great third line center. Okay. Third, uh, great third line. Okay. Second line. Right. If he was here, like, I'm sure he would be doing better than he was earlier in the season because, like, in Arizona, he wasn't that bad. And Arizona was an abysmal team. Yeah, Dvorak so, actually has three more years on his contract at a very reasonable cap number. So he's another guy. So that, he like, needs to play better. And if he plays better, he could be effective on this team for the next couple of years. Yeah, I, I think that he's another guy that he might not be part of the next like uh core the next core of the canadians but i think he could be a decent transitionary piece and he he doesn't have to get traded right now doesn't have to get traded in the summer doesn't have to get traded next year he we can just let him have a better season put him in the right slot and then Hughes and gorton can decide to move on that file whenever they feel like it that's kind of the nice thing about where they are at this stage uh someone's asking who's going to start in net tomorrow I heard that there's a possibility that Jake Allen might play, but I'm guessing that that's not likely. So either Montebo starts back to back or they throw Caden Primo in there against the Flyers, which I mean, not. The I think worst it would be team. because it's the Flyers and it's in Philadelphia and it's Caden Primo. So I feel yeah. like there's like a storybook there. Yeah, let him, let him try it out. I think he's been better in the American Hockey League. I haven't been paying a ton of attention. Yes, he has been. He has last been really I decent. Yeah, so maybe he's got his confidence back a little bit and the team's playing better, so they hopefully won't shatter it for him once again. And the Flyers aren't great, so that helps. Yeah, so yeah, there's, there's a possibility that, that could be a decent situation for him. Hopefully it uh, it works out for him and he doesn't get destroyed because and they just have not handled him very well. Not that it's really been their fault that... You have had so many goalie injuries. What can you do? Um, what else did I want to hit on here? Uh, thoughts on Ryan Paling from Hawker, the pipe doctor. Uh, we already talked about Paling. We think he's been pretty good. I like what they're doing with him, sticking him on the power play and letting him work it out. I think that he's like his decision making has been better. I think as Laura pointed out that he's doing more dynamic things that we didn't expect of him because I think that the talk on Paling for the last couple of seasons has been that he'll kind of max out as a defensive center. And I think he's been better offensively than, than he's been sold. What I've liked this season in total is that he started taking the puck to the net uh, at even strength. I really enjoy that. He's one of the few guys who've been really bearing down and trying to drive the net with the puck. He's kind of got uh, a bit of Josh Anderson in, in him in that way. He's just not as big. But he's a little bit better at handling the puck, I'll say that. Definitely. I feel like Josh Anderson does a straight line skate. <laughs> Ryan Paling does a little bit of stick handling on the way. Um, but yeah, he's he's definitely impressed me this season when a lot of players have not. And um, and well, the one thing, though, this is an interesting question because we were asked this on our show. We couldn't really figure it out. So do you see Ryan Paling as part of the Canadians long-term plans necessarily? I didn't before this season, but I think I do now because he's shown enough versatility that they don't need him to be like, I thought the Canadians under Bergevin needed Paling to be a top six center. And especially after Kokaniemi was taken away from them. And now I don't think they do. I think he's, shown that he can play on the fourth line on the third line. I would not be surprised if next season, Jake Evans is the de facto fourth line center and Paling is given a shot to own the third line and try to create like a scoring third line. I think that's kind of the ideal slot for him. Not necessarily tough minutes guy. Cause Suzuki's going to absorb those, but he, I think he has a chance to be part of the solution here. It's 
really up to him more than anything. I think you're right. And I want to say about Jake Evans too, is that God bless him. Like I wish he was more talented because I know, he plays so hard. eh? He does. And it, he never stops bringing it right. Like no matter what, when they're having a terrible game on them, when they're having a good game, I've like in the last couple of years, I can think of two games where I thought Jake Evans wasn't good. If he was starting, if he was playing other than that, I truly, I thought that, you know, whatever he does, like he does everything that's asked of him and more. And so if he just had better hands, if he just had a bit more skill, like it would be beautiful, but like, I can never knock Jake Evans. I think like, he's one of those guys where like he becomes a fan favorite because of how hard he works, you know? He, he lives for the crest, right? He's he's one of those guys, kind of like Lekkanen, although I think Lekkanen's quite a bit more talented and just better overall. But and yeah, a uh, couple notes here. Corey Schooneman was called up. I think that makes sense. Uh, Kale Clegg took a puck to the face, I believe, in practice, and he's now on the IR, so that's probably where that's going to happen. Might draw in next game because, from what I read, Joel Edmondson is not going to play back-to-backs just to get him... I mean, that makes a lot of sense, frankly. That's the kind of stuff that you expect a smart franchise to do is uh, not force a guy to play back-to-backs after he's missed almost 60 games. Uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to uh, Steve Dangle. Big happy birthday to him. He's officially entered his mid-30s. He's now one of the olds. Uh, Hunter (laughs) Dillon, I I saw in the chat, was saying that he was out celebrating Steve's birthday. Hunter, were you just celebrating on your own, or are you actually one of Steve's friends? Because if you're one of Steve's friends, then yeah, cool. If not, uh, yeah, we'll continue celebrating Steve's birthday with a Habs loss. Poor guy. I know it's Steve's favorite team. Because listen, people made fun of uh, the fact that I was posting pictures of Steve today in a Canadian's jersey. But who other than a Habs fan would dedicate over a decade of their lives to continually documenting the trauma and sadness of Leafs fans? Steve Dangle's a house fan, my friend. Steve Dangle, dedicated Canadian fan, <laughs> secret subterfuge, has made a huge profit off of Leafs Nation in the name of the Montreal Canadiens. <laughs> All right, what else have we got here before we wrap it up? Let's see. Uh, God love anyone who gets a Habs jersey with a nameplate this year. Yeah, there's not very many guys that are super safe, right? I think you got to just you stick to Suzuki and Caulfield if you're going to get a, a Habs jersey with a nameplate this year. I think that's the or price because he's eventually going to be in the Hall of Fame. That <laughs> so. Yeah, that's true. The ones that are not that aren't going to hurt long term, like you can still look back on. Right. Like I think Petrie has kind of entered that conversation, not Hall of Fame, but uh, has entered. A, it'll be a jersey that people aren't going to look at you weird about for 10 years or something. So I think he's in that. I feel like one of the most controversial questions we could ask is if you look back on all of their respective times with the Canadians between Subban, Petrie and Weber, who's actually the one who had the most success. Interesting. Because Subban's got the individual accolade, right? He and Shea Weber in Montreal was not in the Norris conversation. It was no. like a couple of times when like, you know, Pierre Lebrun brought it up or something, but it was like a conversation. Like he, he didn't even get like fifth place votes. Right. Um, so, but who saw like, who, who had the most playoff games is, I guess. I think probably Subban. I think, I think Subban is still number one over the, of the three. But Petrie's definitely number two. Yes. Like, I think Petrie had more good years and was more consistent than, than Weber was. And part of that's being here longer, but. And also less injured. <laughs> like, and less that injured, too. that too, right? And being yeah. here younger as well. But like Petrie is, he's been damn good. Like he's been he, a damn yeah. good player. I think this season has really soured a lot of people's opinions on Petrie. And I get it to an extent. And he's kind of become like the focal point for everything that's gone wrong this year. But. I hope that when he's gone, people will remember how good of a Montreal Canadian Jeff Petrie has been. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I remember before we the season started. I mean, before any of this, Petrie was in the Olympic conversation, and people were talking about how if the if Team USA doesn't take him, then they're stupid. I mean, yep. Team USA makes a lot of really strange decisions when they're talking when you're talking about hockey, but. 
I think, you know, Jeff Petrie is definitely the kind of guy that Team USA fans were saying, like, I wish they take him or I hope they take him, but they most likely won't because that's not how they operate. And I think up until the season and this season, he has played badly in so many different ways that it can't just be he doesn't care. People are always like, oh, he doesn't care. No, that's not it. There was injuries. There's like psychological factors at play. There's that part that, you know, the, even the coach was talking about it, how you do something wrong. And then you try to like write it, but all you do is like make 10 more mistakes. Like it just kind of spirals or snowballs or dominoes, whatever you want to call that effect. But that happens. Right. And it's so, it's so common for people to have that, except at your job, it's not, you know, a million people watching you on TV. Right. So I think, I think it's just, he just had a bad year. And unfortunately we might not see him recover his career in Montreal. I hope they do. Maybe he'll be happy under Martin St. Louis. He's already showed signs of it. He's already been talking much more positively. And uh, you know, now that the restrictions are lifted, uh, maybe he won't be separated from his family next season. So I think, you know, there's a chance that he could bounce back. And Kent Hughes keeps saying he's only going to trade Petrie if it makes sense. Like he's not just going to honor somebody's wish to leave. And maybe staying a couple of more months will change Petrie's mind on that. Maybe he does want to stay here. You know, maybe he will want to stick around and maybe we'll see a resurgence. I think the one thing with Jeff Petrie is that we have to remember is that he can't be the number one defenseman. He's he's it's way too far in his career for him to shoulder that load. I think he was asked to do it this season for very understandable reasons, but I don't think that it's going to be, I don't think that it's going to be fair. Like the Canadians, Maybe they can get away with it next season because they're not trying to be good. But the Canadians need a legitimate option for a number one center, and they need him to be Markov caliber. Yeah, yeah. They need someone who controls the game. And frankly, I don't know if they have that in the system. I know they have some good players in there. I think that uh, maybe the most exciting defense they have is Struble, just because he's such a specimen that maybe there's something that they can build there, but I know he's very raw as a prospect. So we'll see. We'll see. I think uh, that's probably all we have for today. I think we did uh, a pretty good show there, Laura. For, <laughs> I hope so. I think Cause was, I'll be back next week. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was better than the game. Frankly, it was not a very good game. I, well, I do hope so because like I said, I'll be back. I just FYI for everybody watching. I really hate the Ottawa senators. So next week is going to be a really fun show, whether the Habs win or lose. Yes. Let's, let's make fun of the senators. I did see that one of their prospects today uh, got suspended for like the third time in the, in the juniors, like put somebody on a stretcher. And I was like, yep. Sounds like an Ottawa Senator. All right. Underrated. One of the dirtiest teams of the last two decades. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about that next Saturday. Thank you so much for having me on, Andrew. Thanks for coming, Laura. Before we close things out, make sure you tell everybody where they can find your stuff. If you want to check out our podcast, I host it with Scott Matla of Habs Eyes on the Prize. You'll find us anywhere you get your podcasts or on YouTube. Just search Locked On Canadians. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter at The Active Stick. You'll find our show at LO underscore Canadians. And if you want to follow Scott for good measure at Scott Matla, please tell him feel better soon. He's been dealing with COVID. So um, just wish him the best. Yeah, Scott's actually going to be on the show tomorrow. So we're going to get him out of breath. Yeah, uh, talking about the Canadians. <laughs> I think it's, it's kind of funny that you're on one night and Scott's on the next night. Is there a feud on the Locked On Canadians podcast? <laughs> you're not together on the show. We got to get you, you guys on what? together before the end of the season. Yes, I definitely will commit to coming. Well, if he wants to do next Saturday, if he's not busy, he should he should join us and we we can enjoy making fun of the senators. <laughs> All right, I will bully him into it. All right, uh, before you guys log out, make sure that you like the video, subscribe to the channel, subscribe to our podcast feeds, and hey check out the SDPN app because it's a cool thing that you can look at and you can watch videos and then minimize it on your phone and do other stuff, which the YouTube app doesn't let you do. And maybe check out the SDPN shop and get yourself a nice game over Montreal mug or a shirt, all sorts of stuff you can take advantage of with SDPN. We'll see you tomorrow night again for a back-to-back game. Philadelphia Flyers. Scott Matla is going to be on, as we mentioned, as with Jared Book, because it's going to be an EOTP reunion. 